He cannot disappear. Well, he hit him high, but what else could he do? He can't disappear. In slow motion, it looks a little bit bad, but accidents happen. They do. He's done his knees. Yeah, he's he's done well, this is incredible. Now will come the magic sponge. There it is. No scissors, no tape. Build Just it. a dirty old sponge and it's worked. The sponge can wipe out a pandemic. It can cure us all. Welcome back to the Magic Sponge Podcast, a miracle cure for all your rugby league injury issues. I'm Brian Sini. I'm the guy behind NRL Physio and all the stuff you see on social media. James, my co-host, you're back. Mate, I think tonight is our Mount Everest podcast. I think if we can if we can get to the top of this mountain, we have definitely gone longer and higher than we ever have before. <laughs> are you ready? How much time have you got, mate? Because we might be here till midnight. I've got plenty. I'm energised and ready to go. We're coming off the back of a big win, the Bronx, and we're sitting on top of the ladder. So the adrenaline's coursing through me. The arrogance is coursing through me. I'm keen to talk footy for as long as it takes tonight, mate. Hey, and that's the thing. It's getting in, you know, finals are a week away, but there could not be more pandemonium. Like, obviously, we try and tailor a lot of our stuff towards Supercoach and Fantasy all that kind of, you know, that kind of jazz. But tonight, I think as much as we'll help people sort of see how their teams are going to, you know, I guess, iron out over the next week and into the last week of those Supercoach fantasy seasons, it's also talking about there's some big finals implications for um, a lot of these guys today. So I think outside of that fantasy Supercoach side of things, we're going to talk about, yeah, like stuff that can really form how these sides going into the finals are going to go for the rest of the season because there's some big players. So, uh, yeah, look, we won't fluff around too much. Let's get straight in. First of all, we do want to talk about the best rugby league fantasy competition. Bundy, the NRL and the NRLW are back with the world's first mixed gender fantasy league. I know many of you listening consider yourselves high-level fantasy players. Well, this is really going to test your skill with the stars of the women game able to be selected for the first time alongside the men. It's a really great way to elevate the women's game as we all know fantasy sports drives a significant amount of interest in rugby league and with the rapid growth of the NRLW this is the perfect combo. James and I consider ourselves pretty gun fantasy players and big fans of the women's game so make sure you head to mixer.nrl.com to take us on and enter the special league code for Magic Sponge listeners which is F-U-H-V-1-M-W-R or head to the link in the podcast description. Mate, the mixer is coming to the end of the, the season. I think we've got a couple of weeks left. It's just like I've loved it for the last couple of seasons, probably because I'm scoring better and better as the weeks go on, but it's just so good to have it back. Oh, and again, enjoying it, plus, plus, plus. It's just the perfect combo of the NRLW, the NRL, a bit of fancy football mixed in there as well with your favourite beverage. I can't talk it up enough. I hope, like it, like we said last week, it gets bigger and bigger next year. We're really, really stoked to talk about it ad nauseum on the Magic Sponge here. And I hope people that listen along to us get a bit out of it as well because it's been heaps of fun. Heaps of fun. Absolutely, mate. All right, guys, you know why you're here. I do the usual spiel of patreon.com slash general physio, all that kind of stuff. But look, we're here to talk about injuries, so we'll get stuck straight into it tonight. Um, let's get into the injuries from round 26. I don't know exactly what he's done. I would have thought it was an ankle, but I, I'm just guessing. He shouldn't be out for a long period of time. I mean, I'm, I'm no doctor. We have to wait for the scans, obviously, but that'd be more positive than, than negative. Round 26, Brian, we're going to rip and tear tonight because we've got a lot to cover and a lot to talk about. So first game of the round was... An absolute boil over of a result for the Parramatta Eels. They're getting it done over the Panthers. But big injury concerns out of this. 
primarily for the Panthers because the Eels look like their season's done and dust unless a minor miracle intervenes there. So Jerome Luai with a shoulder concern. I'll let you speak extensively about that one, Brian. Then we've got Clint Gutherson with a knee injury that's going to progress to meniscal surgery most likely. And then the other ones on our list to talk about here is Isaac Tungo, uh, Dylan Edwards, Mitch Kennion, Scott Sorensen as well. Hopeful that they're returning next week. Um, do you want to start with Jerome Luai potentially and we can get stuck into that with a lot of detail? Yeah, mate. Uh, when this happened on Thursday night, I thought this was going to headline, you know, the the podcast this week. I was like, that's a big injury. Uh, you know, it, it's one that's a bit dicey in terms of when he's going to return and all that kind of stuff. Little I know how the rest of the weekend would go. Uh, but this is a huge, like, it's a huge injury situation. Like, obviously, a lot's happened since then. But uh, yeah, the, the I think the scary thing is, is this could. Yeah, it could be anything from a return in, you know, two to three weeks to he doesn't even, you know, doesn't even come back and it's just season over. So he's gone and got scans and effectively what they've found is extensive damage to the shoulder joint, which isn't surprising considering he dislocated it. Um, he has damage to the actual shoulder labrum itself, which is the, the cartilage in the shoulder. So once you have damage to that cartilage, it leaves your shoulder, like there's obviously pain involved anytime you suffer a tear to any thing in your body there's going to be pain but the big thing here is that the the labrum provides the stability to your shoulder too so it's kind of you've got your ball and socket and it's the the socket that's that the ball sits in if the socket is nice and stable and secure and not loose or torn or anything like that then that that joint is is as solid as it can be but as soon as you get a tear in that in that cup uh you know the the shoulder can slip out a lot easier and that's probably the biggest concern moving forward the uh, panthers are gonna have to work really hard over the next three to four weeks to try and get that shoulder not only get the pain down which is going to be a big factor but also get the stability in that shoulder because what you see, as much as pain is a consideration, it's more that risk of re-dislocation, which we really worry about. Now, in terms of, you know, recurrence rates based on based on like a varied population, you get some studies show re-dislocation rates up to 90% in people who opt against surgery after a first-time shoulder dislocation. But that's kind of general population. You don't know the, the quality, the rehab, those kind of things. But if you look at like high-level athletes, so we're talking NFL, rugby, rugby league, those kind of things, the studies range from anywhere 20 to 60% um, with most sort of levelling out, out around that 40 to 50% re-dislocation rate. Now, that's not necessarily going to happen in the first week. You know, it can happen three months down the track, those kind of things. The fact that Luai only will have to get through three, maximum four games at, at best works in his favour because th- there's less opportunity for him to re-dislocate it. But he's also got to get through those three to four games after only being you know out for one, like two to three weeks. So it's the re-dislocation rate is really, really quite significant. And I think that is the biggest consideration moving forward is that even when he is, you know, inevitably named to return, it's that risk of he gets out there 20 to 30 minutes in. And we've seen Cleary. Cleary did so much to teach himself how to fall again, to avoid those positions in tackles, those kind of things. Because Luai could get back out there 20, 30 minutes in, 
boom, there it goes again. Um, going through past examples, like I've got one each, like I've got a, a good here, which is Cleary. You know, he returned to play in seven weeks. He plays out the season and wins the comp. Then you've got an okay um, example. So Isaiah Yo, he dislocated his shoulder in round eight of a season a few seasons ago. Four-week return to play. He played 11 further games before re-dislocating his shoulder and then one underwent surgery, so didn't finish out the season. Then you've got your bad, which is someone like you and Aitken. He dislocated his shoulder, four-week return to play, re-dislocated it again in his first game back, and he undergoes surgery. So it shows you the the spectrum um, to go to the best case scenario so the very best shoulder dislocation that i've seen since tracking these shoulder injuries we've got isaac luke so a two-week return to play after a dislocation and then he played out the season of 10 plus games before surgery postseason so it just shows you the wide variance going back to the pain side of things yes pain will be a factor it is an extremely difficult injury to kind of needle up with painkiller injections because the damage is so deep in the joint you can't it's really hard to to get to with those painkilling injections. So, look, it's yeah. I, I, we talk about you know tonight being our Mount Everest of podcasts. This is this is a Mount Everest of an injury rehab for Luai and the Panthers um, to do over the next three to four weeks, I think. Uh, you know, like, Luai is such an important player to them. That's going to be really, really tough. Uh, my gut sort of says, effectively, where I am at the moment is I think he will be back or they will be pushing for him to be back in their second game of the finals. So they are obviously got a second bite at the at the cherry so they've, they've got the first week they'll play I think if they lose the first week and they have to play that second week of finals I reckon they're going to push for him to come back then because it's at risk versus reward if we lose here we're gone we're done uh yeah, if he's if he's anywhere near good enough at that point, I think they'll bring him back. I think ideally they want to win that first week and be able to give him to the prelim to kind of come back. Uh, but yeah, like I think, and you and I were talking off air and what I wanted to throw to you because we, we talk about, like I'm sitting here talking about three to four weeks and all that kind of stuff and the good, the the okay and the, and the bad examples. But we were saying... Probably even when I say bad with you and Aitken, the dislocated shoulder and then re-dislocates at first game back, you were sort of saying like, like we talk about trialing rehab in these kind of situations because it's not a guarantee that he even returns this season. Hey, no, that's right. So I guess, like you said, there's no guarantee that even if he undergoes, you know, maybe three or four weeks, because that's sort of the time frame they're looking at, isn't it? With getting him back on the field, that he's got enough stability, he's got enough sort of high-level strength and endurance in the shoulder to withstand the contact, to withstand the falling out and those sort of things. So I guess you're sort of talking, hopefully it becomes stable enough that he can get back to NRL level 40 and he can meet those requirements there. But again, the outcomes are so big. I think what you've got to say straight off the bat is Isaac Luke getting back in two weeks, playing hooker and playing 10 games is ridiculous. Like that to me is one of the that's one of the more extreme injury examples you can ever give. Actually, I wasn't aware of that before you spoke about that, and that is unbelievable. So I guess from a Penrith Panthers fan perspective, you'd want to hope that he lands within that range. But I guess I would sort of – the only thing I'd add is if they have a loss round one of the finals and then round two, depending on the matchup, they may well be able to get him through to the prelim. So mm-hmm. instead of saying, well, it's do or die, say if they run into the Canberra Raiders – Week two. So Rays get through week one, 
They've got Canberra week two. Canberra are missing some players. There's suspension. There's injury racking up. And Penrith on paper look pretty handy. They may well be able to squeeze in that extra week. But again, you just sort of, you're trying to predict the future there and then predict what teams are going to shape up like in multiple weeks. So it's hard to really know for sure. But I think, yeah, it's, it's not a guarantee for sure with the rehab period. But you'd hope that if he can get through two games of footy and they can get him to that point, then then he's a possibility. It does give him three to four weeks. So it's, it does show that it has been done. So I guess that's a good thing to take away from it. Um, and the you know the examples that you give there are different in their outcomes, but I guess Jerome is going to be hard to predict. I I would certainly agree with you with that time frame of getting back for at least the prelim, though. I think that'd be reasonable. Yeah, I think that like I'm still confident that they'll get him back out there at some point. It's just that re-dislocation rate is going to be huge. Oh, sorry, risk re-dislocation risk is going to be quite high. Um, trying to accelerate it that much, so yeah, that's probably the biggest concern moving forward. Then you got to try and toss up is a you know when does a Jack Cogger at a hundred percent become less valuable than a Jerome Luai at 60, 70%, that kind of thing. It's a it's a tough one. Clint Gutherson with his knee. Look, there's been some stuff floating around that he's been dealing with a knee issue since, like, the preseason. So potentially, you know, he's got a meniscus tear. They've had a scan. They've found a meniscus tear. Whether he's just been toughing it out for the entire season and, and, and now, you know, it, they've only just decided to scan it, whether they've been aware of it. He kind of intimated initially that his kneecap was kind of slipping in and out. So, but I don't know whether he actually meant like, you know, potentially there was a little bony piece floating around in his knee that kept locking it up and those kind of things. But effectively, it just shows you what these guys play through. Like Gutho's definitely been playing through that for at least a couple of weeks because he did have his knee pretty heavily strapped. Um, So he's definitely had something there for at least a few weeks. So the interesting thing here, there's two different options when you get your meniscus, uh, when you have a meniscus tear and you get it surgically treated. You have a trim option where they go in and they remove arthroscopically the the portion of meniscus that is damaged. Uh, You also have an option sometimes because the meniscus doesn't have a great blood supply. There's only certain areas of the meniscus and it's on the outer edges of the meniscus, you can get it stitched up or repaired. The way they're talking is that he won't be back running or running significantly until Christmas, December, which is, you know, three, four, what, four months from now. That's definitely more repair territory. Now, repair better for your long-term outcomes because your meniscus is really important for decreasing your risk of early onset you know, osteoarthritis, those kind of things, because your meniscus at the end of the day is the shock absorber for your knee. So it provides some cushion um, between those two bones. Obviously, if you get that trim option, that surgery, you're trimming away the meniscus, and so there's less shock absorption there. So that's where you get that, you know, that risk of osteoarthritis developing. But it sounds like with Gutho, they are going to stitch it up. Um, So, you know, keeping any kind of shock absorption in there is good. The one thing I will say, it does increase your risk of re-tear down the track because you've kind of got that, almost that scar tissue there in the meniscus rather than, like a nice smooth surface. So it does have a little increased risk of uh, re-tear down the track, but you still, I mean, even talking to my patients, I say any time you can repair a meniscus. I mean, ideally you leave the meniscus alone and don't even get surgery, but in these kind of cases where you need surgery, the repair is definitely, particularly for your long-term, mid to long-term outcomes, definitely the one you want. Uh, just quickly on the Tungo, Edwards, uh, Mitch, Kenny and Sorensen, I've heard that... Uh, 
are most are aiming to be back next week. I think Mitch Kenny is the one who's least likely. The one thing there is that I think is it if do the Bronx play? Yeah, because the Bronx play Thursday night. So if the Bronx win. The Penrith, the Penrith can't really get anything out of playing their full, yeah, you're right, you know, actually. their, their yep. full clip, right? So I think while all these guys are aiming to be back next week or hoping, bar Kenny, I think, is is touch and go with his hammy, uh, I, I just wouldn't be surprised. I think uh, Penrith might make use of their full complement of their 22-man squad because, yeah, if the Bronx win on Thursday night... You really you're tossing up that risk versus reward. Do you put the boys out there to try and form combinations without Luai there? I think that's the big consideration. But also, like if you've got guys dealing with knocks, as we'll talk about, we're going to get to some guys who are dealing with knocks down the track. Like yeah, the risk versus reward calculation starts to really get blurry. I think given they can get to first with points differential. It's hard to sort of see how that's going to make an enormous difference for the Penrith team. I, I think you probably want healthier bodies going deep into the finals. Um, they've been there, done that before. I don't think coming from second is going to be a big drama for Penrith rather than coming from first. Like, you know, they've been there the last two years in a row. Like, they've been the dominant team for the last three years. I wouldn't be shocked to see them go one more week. You know, maybe they are rusty week one of the finals, but they either get the Warriors or the Storm. And they're going to be raging hot favourites for either of those two games regardless. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. I think Gutherson, mate, he's probably going to be close to 80 average in Supercoach this year. Heck of a season for Supercoach in, in Gutho's situation. Like, he would not have been a really high round pick. He probably would have been sort of like a 3-4 round pick in draft format. And what a season he's had. Like And the Eels weren't that great there. this year. The Eels, no, like, you know, they, missed, so. they missed. Yeah. yeah, so good on Clint Gutho having a good year. Even carrying or managing a knee concern for the majority of that or some part of that, that's an epic, epic season. We'll hurry on to the Warriors versus Dragons, Brian. So we've got a few to go through here. So for this contest, Luke Metcalf had a hamstring injury. This is the opposite side to the one he had injured earlier in the season. Sione Finau looked like a high ankle sprain. Rocco Berry was a knee injury. Dimitri Sifakula was a potential ACL concern. And then a quick update about Tamari Martin and Braden Williami, both of those guys have been missing for extended periods of time there for the Warriors after being mainstays at the start of the season in that team, haven't they? Yeah, so starting on them, I I think I just wanted to briefly mention, because obviously the Warriors are up against it with Metcalf and those kind of guys going down. So obviously Tamari Martin uh, was back this weekend. That was pretty highly um, publicised and all that kind of stuff. I actually, look, I fully, like in my full intentions were to go and check out and read some match reports and see how he'd gone. Like, hand to heart, I just haven't had time. With everything that's gone on, there's actually going to be a few times where I say this in this podcast. Uh, Yeah, unfortunately, with all the stuff, all the injuries that have happened, it's just something that I haven't seen how he went. I assume, fingers crossed, it was all good. And, um, you know, what a replacement for a a Luke Metcalf. Uh, But, yeah, hopefully all went well. And just interesting, Braden Williami. I mean, the guy has been... Uh, one week away from returning from a calf injury, I think I can finally take him out of the uh, the Patreon uh, casualty ward. He's been sitting there, and I've been changing him to you know the next two weeks, the next two weeks, over and over and over again. Like the 
worst case of that lingering calf strain that I, we talk about all the time, you know, how in rehab you can think it's going to take this long and it just lingers and lingers and lingers. That was crazy for him. So hopefully he was back all good. Luke Metcalf with the hamstring, it just didn't look great. Um, he was tracking back uh, in defense, uh you know, grasped at the hammy and, and yeah, it looked like he was limping pretty heavily there. I think the biggest thing is it's hard to judge severity of hamstring strain just based on video. The one thing that works against him here that, you know, we know already is his history. So he has that history of significant, um, a significant hamstring earlier in the season, hamstring strain, I should say. So I, I just can't see them rushing him back. I would say three to four weeks is probably going to be best case, even with a minor hamstring strain. I just don't see how they rush him back considering that history. So that's why I'm taking that kind of three to four weekend because that's kind of the upper end of that uh, low-grade hamstring. But it could, if it's a moderate, you know, you're looking at, Oh, it'd probably be six weeks best case. So I've got real concerns that his season is over, which, yeah, like he's been fantastic this season. Like it's so good, yeah. mate, seriously. Like, like I, you know, for everything we get wrong, like, you know, we were talking about Dewey being such a big thing. As soon as he went down, Metcalf was still three or four weeks off from returning from his hammy. And I just sort of said to anyone, you know, anyone who is in draft, who drafted Dewey, myself included, I picked up Metcalf in every league. And, mate, I went fine in all the leagues that I didn't draft Dewey on most of them. I think I got stitched up in the uh, – maybe in the um, Magic Sponge League. Got absolutely killed there, which is a bit of a bugger. So anybody listening there. But that was for poor drafting everywhere else, not because of Metcalf, I don't think. Um, Metcalf was fantastic. He was really, really good. Um, but, yeah, that that's really, really sad to see. See, only for now, another really sad situation, you know, his debut. And he goes off and that – that ankle injury looked really nasty, really nasty. So, um, yeah, uh, like I think a significant high ankle sprain at best. I just hope there's no fracture there is probably the biggest thing. And it's definitely one he had to be carried off. So, yeah, it just didn't look good. Rocco Berry, apparently nothing major. And then Sifakula, I just wanted to mention him. He uh, is a guy in the Raiders top 30 squad. He did his ACL in, uh, in New South Wales Cup. So I think that's about the ninth ACL injury for the season, which actually isn't too bad. We had, we had a gap of about 12 weeks of no ACL injury. So it's quite low this season despite all the other injury carnage. So, uh, yeah, hopefully it stays that way. Really nice, Brian. The only other add-on from that sort of matchup of footy was Luke Metcalf. Was he a Bill Knowles handspring, handspring whisperer <laughs> candidate from earlier in the season as well? He Not was. Really good for Bill Knowles' yeah, data, mate. getting um, a... <laughs> a contralateral hamstring injury there. That's not good for business for the hamstring whisperer. So that's a, that's one to keep an eye on there, given Luke Metcalf has done extensive work with a few different people there in that space. Dolphins v Cowboys here, Brian. Only Reese Robson to speak of here. Sternum injury. Um, I guess the Cowboys are needing results to go their way to make the finals. Have you heard in, anything about severity of that injury? Uh, look, it was something he carried into the game. I literally just had it there just to mention um, he got needled before the game by all accounts and carried it into the game. So I don't think anything major, you know, like at this stage of the season, when I say don't think anything major, I don't think there's anything that's going to keep him out of the game. He could have a small fracture there, you know, and it's it's a time of the year where he's just going, I'm just going to play through it because it's do or die for the, for the cows. 
the you know I'll needle it up as best I can and and once again your Reese Robson at 70 or 80 percent is is probably better than most of the replacement level guys at 100 percent so uh yeah when I say nothing major probably nothing that's going to keep him out of next week all right we'll go to the Storm versus Titans because two big names here so Jerome Hughes with a knee injury Harry Grant with a shoulder injury there's a bit of doubt on these guys lining up for the final round of footy and I guess implications maybe for the Storm into their finals campaign, I would assume as well. Yeah, mate, I think Hughes, there's no chance he plays your Broncos this Thursday night, like even if that MCL injury is on the low end or suspected MCL. So I went back and had a look for a mechanism. Apparently Bellamy said in the post-match that he played on for it, on with it for five or six minutes and I did see him limping around for a good, you know, like a good period before he went off. But a lot of the tackles he was involved in, it's really hard when it's a tackle where there's like three or four guys and they're all mushed in there and they don't have like that close-up slow-motion replay. So I couldn't really see a clear mechanism to sort of give a guide. I think the the worry here is, you know, your low-grade MCL, um, or, or sorry, just any kind of MCL sprain, or a medial meniscus issue is another one. So you can get pain sort of on that inner side. That's where he was getting the, um, getting the ice place so obviously his pain was on that inner knee the medial meniscus issue would be a lot worse than a low grade mcl that's for sure because yeah like even though you can play through them um if it's significant enough to get him to come off that's not a good sign so best case scenario looking at a minor mcl sprain here and i would think they'll push him pretty well you can usually strap it up pretty well and be back uh by that first week of finals the one thing I will say, MCLs have been in recent years a bit like syndesmosis injuries in that they've been really tough to predict in terms of how players, like whether they've stayed on or come off and that kind of thing. Like I've seen guys stay on and play a, a fair chunk, like Tommy Turbo, a few other guys, like stay on, play like the full game. And then they, it comes out post-game, they've got like grade three complete ruptures. And you're like, how? How did you play out mm. the game? It's crazy. So obviously just get it strapped up really, really well. Now, Hughes came off here with the game in hand, but I just don't think you can count your chickens here and be like, oh, you know, he played on for five to six minutes. It should be minor, just purely because of the history we've seen with um, with MCL injuries. We've seen guys play through high-grade ones. So, I, like, I'm, I'm sitting nervously waiting for that. Um, and then Harry Grant with the shoulder, it did look like just he copped a stinger. Uh, he went down low in a tackle and copped a, a bump on the shoulder and was kind of, you know, I guess rolling it around and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, yeah, the biggest thing here with the Sharks losing today, the Storm can't. I think they can climb to third maybe on the ladder um, as opposed to fourth, which I don't think they'll really... Yeah, it'd be, it'd be tight on differential. It would yeah. sort of... Yeah, it depends on how the Warriors would sort of shape up. And the Warriors have the Dolphins, whereas the Storm have the Bronx. Yeah. So, But who, like who cares? Probably a pretty good shout yeah. of beating the, Yeah, like third, third versus again. fourth. Third versus fourth is nothing, right? Like you, yeah. you're not – like I don't see. So if, uh, Harry Grant's definitely one I've got my eye on for a rest uh, for next week. I think – yeah, like you're not going to uh, – look. obviously they love playing the Bronx and, and there's that rivalry and do they want – you know, because they might have to play the Bronx two weeks in a row potentially. Like if they lose 
they're yeah, going to play the Bronx two weeks in a row. So, um, you know, do they want to try and send Grant out there to, you know, to touch them up and, and, and try and win? Or do they want to keep their cards close to their chest and go, nut? Nah, we're going to send out a whole bunch of, you know, replacement level guys and not show our hand before week one of finals? They could do that as well. So I think Grant will more come down to a coaching decision than a physical decision, that's for sure. Yeah, nice and good. Only other thing to add in this Storm Titans game, Brian, was return of Brian Pappenhausen. I think friend of the show, someone we talk about a lot. I didn't catch the game, so I didn't see how many minutes he got and what he sort of looked like on the field. Did you end up catching any of this game and see any of his return to action? Yeah, mate, he got, oh, look, minutes-wise, I think it was the last, like, 20 to 30. might have been 30 minutes or so in the second half. It, mate, he played everywhere. He played in the middle for a little bit, played out on an edge um, when uh, when Hughes went off, was defending on an edge, those kind of things. So it was just good, like, you know, really good to see. Look, he, you know, he didn't do anything spectacular, but a bit like his first week back in Q Cup, I, like I sort of said, for your first game back, that's about best you can hope for. He's been out for 13, you know, 13, best part of 13, 14 months. So it was just good to see him back out there. I thought he looked, you know, relatively solid. Hopefully he can build on that. I think this weekend, this week ahead is going to be really interesting. Like once again, you talk about coaching decisions and, and building combos and all that kind of stuff. Like Paps has played with these guys forever, right? So he is going to be able to fall back in fairly easily, I would think. But it, it, the decision of what do you do with Nick Meany? Nick Meany's been pretty good. I'm, I'm the Storm. One of the teams that I'm most fascinated in over the next couple of weeks. What happens with their side? Because I mean, the easy option is Jer- like Jerome Hughes has a significant knee injury, and you just move uh, Nick Meany to five eight, uh, and then Pappy to the back. But you've also got the young halfback. What's his name? Oh, Jonah uh, Pezzett. Yeah, yeah, Pezzett as well. So yeah, up in the air. But yeah, I thought in summary, Paps looked really good. Yeah, really nice. Good to see things you'll see on the footy field. Ryan Pappenhausen is at the top of the list for that. Roosters vs Tigers is the next one here. So Joey Manu, hamstring concern by the look um, of that video that you put up about him. And then we've also got Billy Smith with the eye injury and Victor Radley had a laceration in this game as well. Do you want to hit us with Joey Manu? What are you expecting time-wise for him and, I guess, grade of hamstring injury? It looks pretty pretty consistent with at least a low-grade injury, would you say? Yeah, I think, uh, like, I, I was thinking low-grade at the time. Like, he he just didn't have that high speed about him. Um, you know, like, the, the ones that you worry about for those really high grades, probably two things. Number one is, like, high-speed running, so full sprint. Or number two, those really nasty stretch strains. So where guys get caught up, I think the two that come to mind are Andrew McCulloch and Latrell Mitchell. Both just got folded in half yep. really rapidly in a tackle there where you really start to worry about high grade. So he was just kind of jogging back, but he was leaning forward. And when I said typical hamstring, it, it's more that lean forward. Like obviously he didn't get stretched significantly. He didn't he wasn't full sprinting, but it was just that running with the lean forward that you often see like little hammy strains there. The it's just come out a couple of hours before we started recording that it is a low grade. So scans have revealed low grade and the Roosters are going to name him um, with the thought that he's 50-50 for next week. Uh, look, I said at the time that he'd be at long odds for next week. During the season, I would have been pretty adamant and said like he won't play next week because you just don't see a hamstring injury like this the next week 
when once again risk versus reward scenario, it's like a round nine game against whoever, right? But here, the, once again, the, the Roosters are playing for their lives. Like they, and you know, worst case scenario here, Joey Money goes back out and he tears it further, and he's got the whole off season to rehab it. Like obviously, you know, he he could completely tear it off the bone. I think that's highly unlikely. Probably the more likely scenario, and and a perfect example of this is from the same team, Daniel Tupo. I think it was last season, the season before, he had a groin issue, I believe. It was either a groin or a hammy, um, just off the top of my head. Sorry, once again, didn't have time to look this up, uh, so forgive me if I get any details wrong. But I know he had a soft tissue injury of that thigh. He came back earlier than expected for um, you know for a game, and I think I think it might have even been the Roosters Rabbits game potentially last year, uh, and re injured it. You know, in the in the game, and it's one of those things where it's like, look, this is how these guys can come back. They come back earlier than expected with a higher risk of re-injury. So that's how Joey Manu is named, uh, you know, on this Tuesday coming. And if he does play, there's no way he's playing next weekend, even with a minor strain. I'm happy to say this. Like, even with a minor strain, he is playing with a significantly increased risk of re-injury going into next weekend. So even if he plays, you know, he'll probably be at a pretty good performance like performance level up to a point where you know I'd be surprised if I saw him stride out you know and run his fastest if he takes an intercept or something like that but yeah I think the ring injury risk there is probably the highest you know I guess the yeah the thing that concerns you the most I mean do you get a similar sort of read with these guys sort of coming back you know like early for those big games yeah definitely and I think in his situation it probably isn't as unattainable given he's going to be playing centre rather than fullback, probably not going to be covering as many metres. There's probably a few different demands there at centre rather than um, playing at the back there where he's going to cover a bit more ground. So I don't think it'd be out of the realms of possibility. But, yeah, you're right with the Roosters with definitely Dan Tupo. I guess the other one that springs to mind is Sam Walker last year, you know, playing through a fractured wrist was one of the um, one of the bigger efforts that we saw with risk of injury into a do-or-die game. That was week one of the finals. But I think he carried that in from the week before, didn't he, Sammy Walker? So... Yeah, I think given that's the situation, he'll probably get named. And, you know, probably, I guess, if he misses, you're probably thinking more moderate grade. If he plays, he's probably playing on a low grade anyway. So his, his risk is high, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. And then Billy Smith and Victor Radley, nothing much to worry about there. I think Smith got a poke in the eye and Radley had a, a laceration on his face, required some stitches. So both of those guys should be fine for next week. Oh, good. On to the Raiders versus the Broncos. So we've got heaps to talk through in this game here, Brian. So... We're going to break it down into Broncos first and then Raiders second because that's how the game ended up there. So I sucked into Raiders fans. <laughs> Pat Carrigan, foot injury here by the Bronx. Very cryptic around the detail about this one. He was named on Tuesday and then fell off the list 24 hours beforehand with just, um, yeah, I think it was a foot tendon injury is what was written in the media that I saw. So that was a bit of an interesting one. Adam Reynolds, we've talked about him, I think, the previous week with a calf concern. And then we've also got to talk about Reese Walsh with a knee injury, Payne Haas with a finger injury, Ezra Mann with a knee injury, Kobe Hetherington with a shoulder injury. Let's start with the Bree Broncos because they've got the storm next week. They're looking to sew up the minor premiership. What do you know about Pat Carrigan's foot injury? This one, to me, is going to be very interesting to see what eventuates in the media or doesn't eventuate in the media <laughs> up front. Yeah, mate. Uh, look, if you go by, you know, what has been said, uh, minor ligament 
strain, I think was said, but it'd be ligament sprain in the foot. Uh, expected back for that first week of finals. So I think Ke- that was sort of the thing pre-game and then post-game, Kev said, two to three weeks. Look, there's just enough kind of smoke here, and I'm just going to slip on your tinfoil hat, James, here. We're going to give it up for a bit. We like it. We like sharing the tinfoil around. uh, Like, as soon as I heard about this, the first thing that came to mind, in all honesty, was the Dylan Edwards situation from last year or the year before, where he was walking around in a moon boot for pretty much the entire final series, and we were consistently told it's a minor issue, it's a plantar fascia, you know, strain or hair it's something he can play through it's nothing much to worry about next minute we get to grand final day grand final finishes and it all comes out that he's playing through a foot fracture for the you know the entirety of the of the final series so I always and I, I said in my tweet when it came out like getting scans on a foot injury that freaks me out as a you know somebody who's tracked injuries over time like foot pain and requiring scans for foot pain that is often worrisome because you've got so many bones in the foot that don't take much to fracture or, you know, have poor blood supply and you can have someone, we've seen it time and time again over, you know, over the, you know, the mechanisms that I post of guys just pushing off, nothing, you know, untoward. And people think, oh, they've done their Achilles because it's that innocuous, but it ends up being like a little foot fracture or something like that. You can get ligament injuries, similar sort of thing in the foot. So, look, I'm not sitting here saying he's definitely playing through something significant. And obviously, if it was if it was a significant enough fracture, he just wouldn't be able to play because he couldn't function, right? He, he wouldn't be able to function on that foot. So... So, but I, I, it's more just a tinfoil hat. Like, I just wonder if we are sitting here three to four weeks from now going, how about, yeah, that smother from the Bronx of, like, keeping that under wraps? So it sounds like they're going to push him back to, to play week one. So I don't think that's in question at the moment. But, uh, yeah, just more, I guess, a, a side note for, uh, yeah, just to see if that eventuates. Um, Adam Reynolds with the calf, he's tracking for week one of the finals as well. Reese Walsh with his knee. Uh, yeah, look, the video of the mechanism, I actually think it was when his leg, he, he dove in for that try. And as he came down, he came down and his his leg was, let's say, twisted inward, so internally rotated. And his foot kind of got caught in the ground and twi- like as he jolted into the ground, it kind of twisted his leg a little bit. So I just wonder whether he's pinched up like, you know, a medial meniscus, pinched up the fat pad, or potentially even like just giving the meniscus a little bit of a stir up. He did go back out then and sort of run around and then had a bit of a lair up and, and uh, Joey Tappanay smashed him. So yeah, look, I'm not expecting anything too major there because it wasn't a major mechanism of injury. So I think he should be fine. But uh, yeah, it was, it, I can see how it was concerning at the time for the Bronx. Uh, Payne has finger dislocation unless there's a fracture there, which is very unlikely he should be fine. Ezra Mam, I think is an interesting one. He's been playing through what looks like, and like I don't know whether you've sort of noticed, he's had that knee strapped up for a good three to four weeks. And it's kind of been playing through a little bit, 
here and there, um, you know, getting it aggravated in games, those kind of things. I actually went back and had a look at the games over the last three to four weeks and found the mechanism. So this is this is what I did have time for today because I was quite interested in this because he came into it strapped for like an MCL and it, it, it did look like kind of that medial, um, medial strain. It was about... I think it might have been against the Cowboys sort of three, four weeks ago or something like that. And he didn't have it strapped and then he went into a tackle, kind of got his knee bent in and then, um, yeah, ended up with it strapped. So likely he's playing sort of through some sort of medial knee issue there. He's someone I'm like, do they, you know, do they give him a rest next week? Like uh, the minor premiership's on the line. So I, I don't think the Bronx can be afford to be resting too many guys, even though they did it this week. Uh, well, apparently Cody Hetherington, nothing to worry about with a shoulder. But mate, I'm going to throw to you as the Bronx fan, like this is the longest list we're going to talk about in this episode. Mate, how are you feeling? What are your thoughts on any of these guys? Are you worried about any of them or are you pretty chill? The one that worries me is Pat Carrigan when it comes out of nowhere because he's got played minutes last week, gets named on a Tuesday, then all of a sudden falls off the team with 24 hours notice. I just find that quite bizarre. And I think to your point, when you hear what pain that needs imaging, and to me it sounds sudden, that sort of makes me lean towards is it a, yeah, is it a bony sort of thing, I guess, or is it a stressy or is it something that, they're trying to get the nuts and bolts worked out of, okay, how can we get this guy through to finals and then onwards? Because it hasn't even been on the radar that I guess you've picked up or anyone else has picked up on this. But that would be the one that is the concern. I think everyone else listed there, you know, I think, well, Reese Walsh and Ezra have been playing lights out footy for the last bit of time anyway. I'm sure they're carrying something, but they're going to be able to get through and play at a pretty good level. Adam Reynolds will be back and firing. Probably not too much else, but I think Carrigan, because he's so important to that team. Like, I guess when him and Payne Haas and Flegler in that engine room, they're, they're pretty tough to get on top of, and they get front foot footy for the guys like Reese Walsh. So he's pretty important. He's, he was huge for Queensland the last two years. Like, yeah, you have to look at how he goes in a big game. I think he's a massive miss if he misses any significant time. So I think that's probably the big concern. I guess what do they do next week with minor prem on the line? I Like I said with the Panthers, like, I don't really see the Broncos why do you need to be first or second to win the comp I think either way I think you're going to get the home final you're going to get home all the way through but barring a major upset I, I would be inclined to get as many guys rested up for that game as you can the Broncos are pretty deep as well they've got, they've got a pretty deep sort of squad there there's some pretty good young guys in the system I wouldn't be surprised to see a fair few of these guys sit out and, and have rest so that'd be my lean on it Again, I, I don't think they need to chase first um, just for the sake of it. And if the Storm are missing Harry Grant Jerome Hughes, you know, they, they probably could afford to rest a few more guys with, with that in mind as well and roll the dice there, so to speak. So I don't think that would be a big thing or an unreasonable thing. Teamless Tuesday would be very interesting for those ones. On the next topic of the Raiders there, Brian, because we'll keep going through this matchup. So we've got for the Raiders, Josh Papali'i with a rear shoulder concern. Jamal Fogarty was a facial injury and then Corey Horsburgh has a sternum or shoulder injury, but I think he's facing suspension anyway, Corey Horsburgh. I think he's got three weeks on the sideline regardless. So I guess for the Raiders, that probably rules him out for most of the rest of the season, I'd assume, unless the Raiders go deep, deep, deep. Mate, those redheads from Redcliffe—they're you know they're they're firebrands. Uh, you can't you can't hold them back. But uh, yeah, look, unfortunately. I, like I, he had a bit of a sternum sort of shoulder issue. Went in for a big hit off a kickoff. 
I, I couldn't see, like, if he wasn't facing suspension, I can't see it holding him out for too long. But unfortunately, yeah, three weeks, he'll be on the sidelines unless he challenges it. Uh, Josh Puppley, I think that was a really interesting one because he kind of suffered it, went off for a HIA, which it wasn't a clear mechanism. Like, I went back and had a look. The, the, the camera angles weren't that great, to be fair. But usually with that kind of shoulder issue, but they're taking him off for HIA, I'm looking for that contact to the head and then that like, you know, that stinger burner kind of like lateral flexion of the head towards the shoulder to pinch like a nerve or something like that. And he was holding the shoulder like it that's what happened but i just didn't see it in the mechanism so i'm assuming it's some sort of like you know he's gone in and and got that really bad stinger burner he came back out and lasted like two minutes and had to come back off so Corey horsborough went off and had to come straight back on pretty much because Puppley was not doing well. He was really carrying that shoulder. So, yeah, I can't, unfortunately, give much insight into that one because the mechanism just didn't make sense for then sort of how he responded and how they treated it with the, um, you know, with the HIA and stuff. I know HIAs get rorted. I get that. But, um, yeah, like especially with the way he's holding the shoulder and, and stuff like that, it does match what you would usually expect from one of those pinching stinger burners. And then Jamal Fogarty with his uh, face, uh, yeah, suspected eye soccer fracture. I actually took a video of him post-match. I was sitting there watching it because it was the last game last night. So I was solo. Everyone else had gone to bed. And I was like, man, he does not look good. And I made the effort to go back and kind of take a video of it because it just didn't look great, thinking I might need to use it in the future. And turns out, yeah, so I'll save that footage for when the results come back. But, yeah, if he if he has any sort of facial fracture you, or eye socket fracture, your best-case scenario would be a two- to three-week return to play. So he potentially could even be back for week one of finals. We've seen that happen with minor eye socket fractures or cheekbone fractures before, but most... I would say the vast majority return in four to six weeks. So the odds are against him if there is a fracture there, unfortunately. Yeah, that's really bad news for Jamal Fogarty, isn't it? That's a terrible time to end up with a facial fracture with finals knocking around the corner. Next game was the Bulldogs versus the Eagles here, Brian. So we've got two players that were ruled out free game here, Jacob Carraz and Braden Burns. That sort of threw a lot of um, Supercoach stuff in the disarray with Carraz being highly owned. I know I was trying to scramble for another player. And by that stage, I didn't have one. So I just had to cop the one play short on that one, which was a bit of a shame. So we'll talk about those two Bulldogs plays to start with. And then also just a quick update about Ruben Garrick. He was diagnosed with a transverse process fracture of his lower back, I think, from that uh, tackle against the Warriors the week prior, wasn't he? So I think this is a pretty cool one that they both are in the, well cool they're both injured so that sucks but um a cool one in that we've got two back fractures here in you know in the one game or even though neither of them happened in this game but we'll talk about them now uh and I don't know about you but certainly I think the thing that I want to get across to the listeners is that way more concerning the Kiraz fracture than the Garrick fracture. Like I, like, I always, it's always tough when you hear about these transverse process fractures and spinous process fractures. So effectively, what the transverse process and spinous process, when you hear that, they're just talking about little pieces of the vertebrae. So the vertebrae, when you look at the vertebrae, it's got all these bony, you know, I guess prominences that stick out to the side and out to the back and all that kind of stuff. So they just name those little pieces of the bone, you know, for 
I don't know, to make it harder for us in uni to learn the, you know, learn the attachment points of things, but also to be able to identify when there's a fracture in a certain place, you can call a transverse process fracture and you know what it is. Effectively, why that's important is is fractures to the transverse and spinous processes. I see spinal fracture or back fracture being used, and I get it, like it is technically that, but immediately people go, oh my God, and we were some of the, I guess, the biggest people to sort of sit here on the podcast last Sunday night and say that we thought that the tackle was dangerous, uh, that it was a day, you know, he got into a dangerous position and all that kind of stuff. But it wasn't a, this injury isn't a back fracture in the sense that most people assume. It's not something that effectively a transverse and a spinous process fracture, it's considered functionally stable. So it means the stability of the spine and the ability to weight bear, move around, it's unlikely to get you know, worse or have like major structural implications, it's mainly just pain. And when I say pain, when I say mainly pain, the pain is huge. So I think the big thing there is it is one of the most painful injuries. We talk about rib fractures probably being right up there. This is up there with rib fractures. So they are super, super painful. They're tough to kind of get to settle down even within a couple of weeks. I'm very doubtful that Garrett comes back next week because even we've got a list here Nathan Ross three weeks Adam Reynolds four weeks Brett Morris four weeks Moses Sully five weeks Mitch Moses three and a half weeks so these are guys who've come back from transverse process fractures so that usual range of three to five weeks I'd be surprised if he's back then but I guess the biggest thing here the learning uh, like point for anybody listening is that when you hear transverse process fracture in association to a back fracture, don't think that they're in danger of becoming quadriplegic or a paraplegic or something like that. Like it's not, it, I say to my patients when they come, I'm like, it, it's kind of like you've got a broken rib. That's the way I kind of put it. It's still, it's not nothing. It's not nothing, but it's also not like you don't have to worry about your long-term future playing sport or anything like that, which a lot of fractures, like if you get a, you know, a major fracture in the spine, that's where people can go is, oh, my spinal column or the nerves or something's going to happen. That's not the case here. So just worth knowing that moving forward. And then uh, we had, yeah, Kiraz with the back stress fracture. That is not common in footy players. I think the only other one I can think of is AJ Brimson. Uh, AJ Brimson, or actually AJ Brimson, I think Josh Mansour had one a couple of seasons ago, but by all accounts, his was very mild. I think it was even just a stress reaction, so it hadn't progressed to kind of a true fracture. But yeah, with those stress fractures, that's that's really worrisome. It's load over time. Obviously, the the fracture is there. This can be like I think AJ Brimson was about three to four months uh, recovery time, and then not straightforward either. It's a really tough rehab process. You kind of just have to sit around and not do much for a while because you just got to let that bone stress heal, uh, and then even when it heals on the scans, you can start to come back and have some more pain in the back and kind of. It's a whole back and forth kind of thing. It's really, really common and where I actually see it a lot and we're going to see it a lot now over the next four or five months is in adolescent fast bowlers in cricket and gymnasts, probably another one too. I see quite a few gymnasts with it. So it's those repetitive stress 
sports where you're com- like doing the same motion over and over again with the back. So yeah, not something that's super common in footy. So I wonder how this has happened to, to be a stress fracture. I'm not really sure. Uh, yeah, but that was, I, I think that's an interesting one with the two back fractures. Brain burns with the hamstring. There's been no, um, nothing said on how severe that is. So we'll have to wait for scans, but he's got that extensive, extensive history. Yeah. yeah like, oh my God, he's had that many hamstring injuries. So it'll, be, you know, I think I said in my tweet about Kiraz and Burns, like these injuries might both have implications for the preseason because Kiraz could, you know, be rehabbing for the next three to four months, you know, with that stress fracture potentially. Uh, the, the one thing I will say is that uh, Mansour came back in like two weeks after his bone stress reaction, his lower back. So if it's not a true fracture, you know, you can come back quickly. But if it is, if it is a true stress fracture um so there's actual sort of structural damage to the bone there it's going to be a lengthy recovery uh have you got anything to add about either of those you know fractury ones i'm sure you see a bit of the more serious fractures in the back in uh, in your job yeah mainly from trauma related stuff i guess motor vehicles motor bikes um the elderly who are very osteoporosis osteoporotic with falls i guess is what we'd see interesting on the transverse process stuff ryan i remember this is many, many, many years ago before we'd even finished our studies. This is sort of 2010, 2011, maybe 11 or 12-ish or somewhere in that. We are old, old, mate. We're old. Yeah, we are. Yeah, very, very, very <laughs> old. Let's not even get started. But remember Cam Newton from NFL quarterback fame had a motor vehicle accident. He had a rollover and he had something like four or five mm. transverse process fractures. I remember reading that at the time and I was like just anatomy clued up and I was like, oh, mate, there's like no way he's going to be able to play. He was back in like two or three weeks <laughs> yeah. and playing quarterback. And I was like, I remember just, I never will forget that return to play just being ridiculously fast in my eyes. And it, it sort of speaks to your point about how quickly you can get back from, you know, certain types of fractures in, in the vertebrae or vertebral body and things like that. So that's that's a really good example you can give for Ruben Gary. Again, I don't think you'll see him um, for the rest of this year it would be the only one to add in from that point of view. Last game for the NRL. So we've got Knights v Sharks today, Brian. So big names here. Kalen Pong with the AC joint injury is what it looked like. Nico Hines was ruled out pregame with a quad injury. That doesn't sound massively serious, so not sure what's going on then. Three more for the Knights. Kurt Mann, sternum injury. Jackson Hastings, obviously, just on the rehab journey with the ankle injury. Hopefully, we'll see him back sooner rather than later. And then Lockie Fitz, who we talked about last week with a shoulder injury too. So a few to get through from this one. So we've got five to rip through. Uh, who do you want to kick off with? I guess Kalen's probably the big name there again, isn't he? Friend of the show, the amount of t- plugs we give him on here and then times we talk about him. Yeah, we'll start with the Knights because they've got, you know, what's that, four of the five listed there. So starting with the Knights, Ponga with the AC joint injury. Look, uh, yeah, it, it, good signs that he was able to stay on the field. Absolutely. Like I, I, I would be shocked as, as good as his pain tolerance will be. Um, really, really good to see him stay on the field. I think that kind of leans us more towards like a minor to moderate sprain of the AC joint rather than a complete tear. Uh, But I still don't expect him to play next week. I think um, we just listened to the, uh, the post-match presser before we came on here. And uh, Adam O'Brien's quote was anyone with bumps, I won't take a risk with. Kalen Pong has a bump. He, he definitely has a bump. That that AC joint, at best case, you're looking at a grade one sprain. Uh, that's a bump. So if he's being true to his words, coach speak is a wonderful thing. But 
in the because the Knights have got the home final locked in. They're 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 locked into home final. They're they're going to come fifth or sixth, I believe. So that's locked in. They've got nothing really to gain from going too hard next week. Ponga will get all the benefit in the world from sitting out. Because if we go minor, you can play through a minor AC joint injury. AC joint injuries are mainly pain management issues. You can needle them up. You can pad them up with, you know, like strapping and and, and foam and that kind of stuff just to try and avoid that sort of that direct blow to the AC joint again. There is that risk of aggravation. The best way to get that to settle as quickly as possible, I know this sounds super obvious, is to avoid aggravation. The best way to avoid aggravation is not play footy, not, not, you know, don't get involved in contact. So for him to potentially have next week where he can just take the next, you know, the best part of two weeks away from aggravating that AC joint, even if it is a moderate, sprain we usually see guys come back from those in two to four weeks so if you're talking coming back in two to four weeks that's you know let's go best case two weeks missing a week and coming back the second week so that's uh you know during the season when the risk versus reward calculation is for i'll go back to my example before a round nine random game we see guys come back in two to four weeks so all of a sudden we've got a week one of finals like yeah pong is going to be back for week one i would be shocked unless he has the highest pain tolerance i've ever seen and was hiding a grade three ac joint issue there uh, like I'm expecting him for week one, he will still have a risk of aggravation in game. So even those guys that I talk about in season coming back, you know, in two to four weeks, all of them come back with a risk of aggravation. They're not at 100%. And to be honest with you, Pong is probably not going to be 100% at least for the first couple of weeks of finals. And if he cops another blow, it's just going to aggravate it again. It's going to keep it going. But the good news is for Knights fans, it's very unlikely to cost him time in the finals. Unless, uh, when I say cost him time, week to week. It might cost him time in game because he might get lit up so hard that he has to go in, get an injection, and then come back out and try again. But if they, say they win the first week and he aggravates it, that they'll use that week to get it to settle down and get him back out there again with it padded up, needled up, all that kind of stuff. So an AC joint is something you can really push to its limits without there being too much risk for the permanent long-term kind of damage. Kurtman with the sternum, pretty similar. They'll just, you know, keep pushing through that. Lockie Fitz, I think that's an interesting one with the shoulder. We said it at the time. Uh, you know, that's the shoulder he's had issues with. He, he was a late withdrawal Bit of mystery there. Um, I worry about it. He's had it reconstructed twice before. He's got some issue with it again. So fingers crossed it's nothing major. And Jackson Hastings, I've heard that it's not going all that great. Like um, He certainly, I saw Jacko sort of, you know, uh, get a bit frustrated on Twitter with some, you know, people accusing him of like lying down and trying to cop, you know, get the guy a suspension and all that kind of stuff, which is, you know, just absolute rubbish. Like we, we spoke about how painful, yeah, that, how, how painful that injury would have been with, you know, a, a metal plate in there and all the scar tissue he's got in there and stuff like that. So it doesn't, um, it doesn't sound like it's, it, it's going as well as, 
as they'd hoped. Um, but yeah, look, like once again, they've got it locked down, so they're not going to play him next week because there's no real benefit to it. But I think they'll push and push and push, and it is another one where you know potentially there's not a whole lot of risk in in getting him out there for week one. It's more going to be a question of function for Hastings, I think. Can he move around well enough to be better? Because Clunes look pretty good. Um, Clune's been very serviceable for them, so I wonder whether, you know, it'll just be whether he's going to be good enough for that. Um, mate, before I move on to Hines, like, how are you feeling about Ponga? Are you, like, are you on a sort of similar wavelength to me just to sort of put the Knights fans at ease? Anybody listening? Yeah, I think so. I think just the fact that when you saw him just going through it, his range was actually pretty good, yeah. like, on the field, which makes me sort of think, well, it's probably not high, high grade because you see some of those guys who get the high-grade ones, and they're pretty sore, even elevating close to shoulder height. So for Kalen to sort of get up here and be like, oh, man, I'm pretty sore, but he's elevating pretty well, I would sort of be fairly hopeful that he'd be on the lower side of things there. And and like you said, with Adam O'Brien, I think he's got his team on, what, eight in a row now, nine in a row? Crazy good winning streak there by the Knights, and I think they don't need to take the risk of Kalen going down the highway to play in St. George um, just for the sake of determining who runs fifth and who runs sixth. You know, they're, they're going to figure that out because the Sharks get the Raiders. So the Raiders can actually miss the eight if they lose that mm. game um, on differential if the Bunnies and the Cowboys get in. So it's going to be it's going to be a very, very good round of footy. But that, that'll be something to watch there. But I, I tend to agree with you there, Brian. There's probably not too many more spicy takes. Um, I want to take out of that game from the Knights and the Sharks. Yeah. NLW, we're going to wrap up. Oh, hang on. I'll just go go through Hines because I just left him off. Uh, The one thing I will say about Ponga is, you know, putting Knights fans at ease, but unfortunately any super coach owners, which include both of us, uh, yeah, we're not going to be happy because I just don't, I don't see him playing next week and he would have been a big captain, not only a big option, but a big captaincy option against the Dragons uh, with how he's been going. So I think any super coaches listening, I would be shocked if you have him next week, if any of us have him next week. Thankfully, uh, you know, most head-to-head and draft finals wrapped up this week. But yeah, anybody playing for overall, uh, yeah, you're going to be you're gonna be scrounging for numbers there. Nico Hines with a quad. It sounds minor. Uh, I, it's, I'm not sure. Actually, where do the Sharks sit? Can they do they need to win for a home final? Because I think it's this yes. is another one. Yeah, right. It's, okay. it's them versus the Raiders, and whoever wins that game will play uh, at home. Yeah, right. So the Sharks need to win against Canberra to keep yep. in sixth or fifth. Yeah, so I so they do need they do need to win, yeah. and and they're better in the Shire, so they can't really. And by all accounts, take, take the risk there. No, by all accounts, he got through most of the week at training, um, and it just kind of niggled him. So it's one of those situations. Sean Johnson's been playing through a quad issue. Like I, I would be surprised if Hines doesn't, you know, doesn't play. But they just don't potentially he doesn't goal kick, you know, a bit like SJ. It is one of those injuries where he could be fit to play, but not fit to goal kick or not comfortable goal kicking. So that's something to look out for. Another hit for potentially super coaches who are, you know, looking for some big scores. Nico Hines might not be goal kicking next week. Uh, it, you know, I, I'd be surprised. I would be surprised if he's ruled out for next week because I think a minor quad with what's on the line, a home final. I think you get him out there 
there and just hope that he can kind of direct the side around, not hit top gear, you know, not have to sprint or, or do anything like that. And then you bring him off. Like, hopefully you've got the game in hand with 15, 20 to go and you just bring him off uh, from there, I think would be the way they would aim to do it. I wouldn't be surprised if they carry like a Matt Moylan on the bench or something like that if they do play him. Uh, in terms of risk of aggravation, mostly when kicking. So that'll be the interesting thing is to see how many long kicks or high kicks his kicking game might be affected. But other than that, you can you usually see guys pushing um, pushing through these kind of things. Yep, very good, Ryan. All right, we've kicked off and got through all the NRL stuff. <laughs> We're going to go through the NRLW very quickly as well because we've already been talking for about 10 hours. So sorry It's been an hour, mate. People. We're an hour. Usually our yeah, podcast we'll... goes for an hour and we're literally just getting through. <laughs> Yeah, but we're still going strong. So we'll go to NRLW now. So I'm going to list these names off for you, Brian, and you can take and run with any of these ones in a bit more detail. So Kezi Apps, Rakea Horn, both concussions. Um, Ali Brigginshaw, broken nose. Andy Robinson, knee injury. Sophie Holman, Holyman, sorry, leg injury. Uh, and then Shorten Burton was a non-contact knee injury, I believe. And then Libby Serha was a shoulder. Keely Brown was a leg injury there. Who do you want to speak to in a bit more detail there for the W and the Bundy mix implications, Brian? Yeah, mate. I think Ali Brigginshaw, broken nose. That's the big thing there. She's been really good in the mixer the last couple of weeks. So I think I think the big thing there is that's not really a concern, broken nose, unless um, you know there's some sort of airway implications or something like that, which is quite rare. I think they she just needed to get it straightened up post-match is what they said. So she uh, should be fine for anybody who's looking to pick her in the mixer. Um, the only other one, I, I will apologise to the NRLW girls, not that they probably want me looking at their injury mechanisms, but I only got a chance to sort of see two or three of them this weekend. Once again, just trying to stay on top of things. I missed quite a few mechanisms from the NRL as well, so not just the NRLW. But the one that I did see was uh, Shorten Burton, with her knee, it did look non-contacty in nature. So hopefully it's not an ACL, but it just had a few little signs. The The video wasn't fantastic. Sort of they didn't have a close-up. Uh, when the, They had a close-up from kind of thigh up uh, without actually showing the knee. So that was a bit, um, well, yeah, dis- I say disappointing. It's disappointing that she got injured in the first place, but to sort of give any sort of insight. But she looked like she was actually having a good game. I was, uh, you know, had my eye on that game with the, the Roosters going well. Um, and yeah, apart from that, Kezi Apps and Rakaya Horn, obviously Kezi, I picked last week, um, you know, she was having a pretty solid year in the mixer, but they'll, uh, they'll both miss next week with their concussions more than likely. Very good, Ryan. You smashed that one out. Well done. We're halfway up Mount Everest. We're, gonna, we're on the, we're on the final, final bits of the summit at the moment. Next up is Patreon questions. We've only got a couple this week to go through, but like we always say, the Patreon questions come in via patreon.com forward slash NRL physio. Get your monies over to there to Brian so he can give you more good, more of the good stuff on the week-to-week basis on the Magic Sponge. Question number one, we're going cross codes here. We're going to that yuck, um, disgusting highbrow code <laughs> called Rugby Union that's full of rich, born-to-rule little toffs, um, which I don't have too much time for. But anyway, we'll talk about it on the Sponge here because this is what we do. We're for the people. So the question is about Sia Khaleesi, who's the South African um, blind flanker, who's their skipper as well. So it looks like he's returning to play less than four months post-ACL surgery. I don't know too much about the specifics of the surgery there, Brian, but do you know much about the specifics and then how he's able to achieve getting back in four months? 
Yeah, mate, we're not just a you know, we're not just a rugby league podcast around here. We do like our our physiotherapy topics as well. So I'll, I'll I allowed this one through just purely because of the physiotherapy implications, and I guess the implications for people listening. Uh, you know, like where a lot of your NRL players when they suffer an ACL injury, you're thinking at least six months. Here we've got a guy coming back in four months. How does that happen? I actually reached out because I don't pay a lot of attention to rugby, let alone, you know, South African rugby, I must say. Um, So I hadn't, and I wasn't able to find much detail on the surgery specifics. So I put out a tweet this week, sort of looking for anybody who had information and they didn't have much. The, the, literally the only detail I could get. So he had a partial ACL tear with meniscus tears and then his surgery involved a, a tendon transplant. So, like, that, that is very vague to me. So I think, first of all, we're looking at four months after surgery on his knee. There is nothing that has confirmed that he had a reconstruction, from what I can tell. And this is even, I had journos in the thread under my tweet who had directly spoken to him, like, being like, oh, yeah, when like, it wasn't mentioned whether it was a reconstruction or not. So... There's your first answer is that if it's not a reconstruction, as we know with partial ACLs, you can avoid surgery. So if he, if he's avoided, sorry, avoid reconstruction surgery. So if he's avoided reconstruction surgery, potentially it's not really that crazy at all. If he has had ACL surgery, a couple of things here. So number one, a tendon transplant, you know, whether he's got a donor tendon, which takes away obviously your second surgical site. So what you do, and we've had it with Harley Smith Shields in the in the league. Shields, he yep. got a tendon from his brother's hamstring, and that was used to to uh, uh, reconstruct his ACL. It just takes away added rehab at the start because obviously if you get a tendon taken from your hamstring, as you would know, James, somebody who has had a hamstring uh, tendon uh, ACL reconstruction, you then have to rehab the hamstring component as well, right? You, you've effectively got a grade three tear of your hamstring that you have to rehab alongside the ACL. So so doing that does shorten things a little bit. But overall, my answer to this, how is he returning four months after ACL surgery? My answer is he's just doing it with a very high level of risk. Like that that that's the, I guess, the, the long and short of it. And, and look, even taking away, like I'm not sitting here, I'm not his treating physio, I'm not his doctor, I, I don't, I haven't spoken to anyone in that. But it's just pure science and pure biology. These ACLs, they do not ligamentize, so they don't heal. We'll go in inverted commas. Probably the best word is they don't heal completely for at least a good 12 to 18 months after surgery. We know that. We, 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 we know that as a, as a scientific community, right? So at four months post, we know that the the risk of re-rupture of that ACL is just really, really high. So if that is the case, if he's coming back four months after an ACL reconstruction, he's just doing it with a high risk of re-rupture. Like, uh, probably a good thing to point out uh, to the listeners is that even at my, you know, my level, and I deal with athletes who are, you know, semi-professional, professional, that kind of stuff, obviously not an NRL level, NRL level but a lot of the time my job as the physio through an ACL 
reconstruction rehabilitation is to be the handbrake to be the guy who's saying you need to slow down because you feel better than you actually are in the grand scheme of things because a lot of people are pain-free at around that 10 to 12 week mark when you start to to get running and so they're pain-free if they and i've had people like come in drop off my list because I, you know, people who are everyday mums and dads or, 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 you know, park footy players or whatever, drop off my list at around that three to four month mark because I know they're getting sick of me telling them, you got to slow down, you got to slow down because they feel fine. They're like, and if they don't listen to you about truly why we have to leave it to that at least six months, but preferably at least nine months post-surgery, if they don't listen to the reasons because they're sitting there like, well, my knee, I've got full range of movement. I can run, we're running why can't I just go back and play sport? And it's like, no, you need to rehabilitate. You need to, you know, get your change of direction, your jumping, landing, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so, and obviously he would do all of that at an accelerated level. I'm not saying that he hasn't absolutely walloped his rehabilitation. He's probably gone crazy with the rehab, had a really good rehab, and it still is a superhuman effort to be back at four months because he would have best case been able to start running at, what, like eight weeks post-surgery? So he's he's gone through the best part of what would usually be four to five months of rehab in six to eight weeks, which is mental, crazy, but there is no way he's not an increased risk of injury. I, I, like I, the, the, It's just with the ligamentization or the healing of that ligament, it just doesn't occur nearly enough to be returning at four months without a high risk of injury. Mate, I know you've got some really good stats for me here, which also contribute to why he might have been able to return less than four months post-surgery, and I apologize to any rugby union fans who are listening at the moment because uh, James yeah. is about to unload, I think. <laughs> yeah, look, I'm going to get everyone else offside from the rugby union code. So it's interesting when we talk about ACL surgery and ACL rehab, Ryan, we talk about what sport-specific thing do we need to get you back to, what sort of load, what sort of volume, what sort of output do you need to have. Here's Sia Khaleesi's stats from the first three rounds of the rugby championship. 11 carries for 33 metres, broke two tackles and made 32 tackles. In three rounds of footy. <laughs> Doesn't sound like a super high bar, and that's very condescending coming from me um, on the couch here compared to see Khaleesi, who's a World Cup winning captain. But it just goes to show the difference in, I guess, demands. the demands of rugby league versus the demands of rugby union. They are completely different games, and that probably speaks to you know, why we have very, very different athletes playing the two codes and different body shapes and all those sort of things. But 11 carries and 32 tackles in three games of footy, that's not big, big, big numbers. I guess that doesn't count for like, you know, set piece and it doesn't count yeah, for ruck engagement yeah, and things yeah. like that. But when you look at that from a very simple rugby league brain, which is what I've got, that's what I'm, <laughs> that's what I'm dealing with, that's what I'm working with, I look at that and just think, joke, like get back on the field. Is what I what I defer to, which speaks to my, I guess, vulnerabilities as a toxic male um, who's age thirty five. So that's more on me than anyone else, and that's my shortcomings. And I'm doing therapy for hey, that. it's our it's our so podcast. It's our podcast at the end of the right. day, mate. So you yeah. can say whatever you like. Anyway, I'll renew my mental health care plan and talk <laughs> that over with someone in the future, Brian. Second question from Patreon though. So we've got someone from Patreon here who said, 
I dislocated both my shoulders playing semi-professional rugby um, and always been told in the six to 10 week ballpark is my return to play schedule. What do you think is, well, how does someone like Jerome Luai potentially get back from that in three to four weeks instead? What's the difference there from the semi-professional level to the elite level? Sort of speaks for itself a little bit, but I'll let you take it away. Yeah, look, we've answered this question before uh, in a more general sense. Like you've got uh, nothing against this semi-professional rugby league, rugby player, but Jerome Luai is a professional athlete who uh, his he, his base level is higher. I can almost guarantee his base level is higher than anybody asking this question who isn't who you know who isn't a professional rugby league player. Uh, so he's starting from a better better standpoint immediately he also has access to the best treatment uh around the clock so he's going to be getting treatment if not 24 7 bloody close to it uh and then also the other answer which lends to exactly what we're just talking about with Sia Khaleesi he also returns sooner than probably he well anyone would like in an ideal circumstance because he will take more risk than a semi-pro rugby player when returning because of what's on the line like the semi-pro rugby player what's the benefit in getting him back at three to four weeks compared to six weeks when he's playing semi-pro rugby like it's like uh, what uh, we're not playing for sheep stations here we've got this guy's long-term well-being you know at the forefront of our mind and it's not that they don't at an NRL level but what they have to consider is that getting Luai back in four weeks as opposed to six weeks that two weeks especially right now is huge the reward the risk versus reward the reward of getting Luai back is monumental compared to you know any other situation so in that case you're more than likely you're more likely to take more risk with that guy going back so yeah, it's it's a combination of all of those reasons why professional sports people get back earlier anyway, but there also is that risk versus reward. The reward here is huge for Luai coming back. Would you kind of agree with that? Yeah, the above points apply here as well, don't they? I guess we sort of spoke about that at length with Jerome Luai, but yeah, I think there's sort of that risk reward. There's also the financial incentive as well. You know, these clubs are paying these guys, in Jerome Luai's case, probably pretty big money. They're going to try and get them back as soon as feasibly possible, there's not that extra external pressure for someone who's semi-professional either, probably most most likely anyway. But um, and again, it's it's at risk, it's at re-risk of dislocation, the risk of re-dislocation, I should say, um, that you need to weigh up as well. Because if you can ultimately rehab something non-operatively, that's going to be far far better off for you than having to go down the reconstructive sort of route as well, even at a semi-professional level, because you know, that's probably going to be better for you mid-long-term as well. So that would be the only other things I'd add on to there, Brian, I'd reckon. 100%, mate. All right, Bundy Mixer Picks, mate. You are our fantasy and super coach expert. You are also our Bundy Mixer expert, even though I think I'm rolling you. Uh, we will uh, – here we're going to talk about our picks, although I, I say that you rolled me this week, so good on you, mate. Uh, tell me why you rolled me, how you rolled me, with all your expertise, and who are we looking at next week? Because I, I'm struggling with next week already. Yeah, so am I, actually. So good to bring that up straight off the bat. I got 477. I boosted Taufa and Cleary. So Taufa scored 40 for me. It seems every time I pick her that oh, she's just same. not going ballistic. Don't you? <laughs> it's just front row forward. I'm just 
I need to just pick and stick. I need I to pick the wrong one every week. Every Same. week, yeah, no. I'm like Millie Ball. as well, yeah. but <sighs> but this week I got Ken McInnes and he was very good for me this week. So I went Ken McInnes, Smile with Taufa. I went Olivia Koenig. I was pretty disappointed that she didn't get across the stripe when the Roosters won by plenty. So mm. I thought, oh yeah, she's in a, in for a big big shout here. She's due for a try and she plays a full seventy. She's elite athletic. I just don't know how she hasn't got across the try line yet this year. She's probably going to be someone I keep picking, I would assume. Then I had Nathan Cleary, who I boosted, Isabel Kelly, the stock standard at centre wing, and a Scotty Drink. So all in all, not too badly. I do want to give a massive shout this week, Brian, to Tegan Berry, who scored four tries for the Dragons, 112 mixer points. Oh, jeez. 287 run metres, some of the best footy highlights you'll ever see. And she's scoring not just like... Luck of, luck of the bounce, being in the right place at the right time. She's going coast to coast. She's got absolute jets. On that performance alone, you have to have a look at Tegan Berry playing fullback for you in the mixer because her upside is absolutely unrivaled at the fullback position in the NRLW especially. So she's someone that could be a huge point of difference there. In terms of the matchups the week coming, so I guess DCE versus the Tigers is probably the big one. He's got the goal kicking, his general pay kicking. He makes quite a good amount of tackles as well. So I think DC is a pretty good play, just given that we don't really know what the Panthers are going to look like against the Cowboys, how they're going to line up. I still think Nathan Cleary will play. So you could probably clip a coin there with DC and Cleary. Um, I'm sort of looking at maybe Tino Fasul Malawi in the front row. I think against the Bulldogs, the Bulldogs were terrible today. And the Titans weren't the greatest either, but I think they've got a bit more about them, the Titans and the Bulldogs. The Bulldogs seem like they've just shut up shop and, some of the defensive effort today was diabolical, and and the Titans were good for a decent portion against the Storm just gone. So I don't I don't mind sort of playing Tino. His base stats are just ridiculous week in week out. His super coach scores are ridiculous as well. So they're probably two of the ones I've got my eye on this week, as well as Teague and Berry. One hundred twelve bunny mix of points is just the business, Brian. There's no doubt about that. That might be. That may well be one of the high scores of the year, actually. I don't know if there's been too many people that have gone above 112. I think Cleary might have gone close, but I don't know if anyone else has outdone done that from a, a weekly point of view. Mate, huge. I um, yeah. yeah, I saw the highlights. Just ridiculous. Oh. Like that. If you, look, if you an hour and twenty minutes into listening to us two idiots and you haven't seen the highlights, press pause right now. Go and watch yeah. the highlights. Really good stuff. Um, yeah, look, I got 465, so you got me by 12 points, which is just devastating. I boosted Taufa and Cleary. Yeah, man, like, I'm battling with that. Like, it seems like every time, like, I've gone through, uh, yeah, Boyle, Taufa, Georgia Hale, like, every time I pick the one, the other one, like, Millie Boyle scored a try this week. I'm yeah. like, oh, yeah. my God, like. Yeah, just ridiculous. Um, so really getting stitched up there. My big ones this week were Ellie Katoa and Scotty Drink um, were my two good picks. I had Mansman. She did play the full 70 minutes, which was good, but she only scored 43. So that wasn't, you know, wasn't fantastic. Uh, yeah, who am I on off next week? DC versus Tigers. I love it. I'm like, I'm all over that. I like the Titans play as well. And then the other one is for, because I'm looking for a few point of differences. I've moved up again this week. I'm into 25th or 26th in our, in our league, which is very, very tasty. So I want to try and um, try and I'd love to take out the magic sponge league if I can. So I'm looking for a few point of differences because I don't care about, once again, mate, it's my approach to overall is I don't care about if I come 20th or 200th. 
I want to come first. So looking for a few pods in there. I'm thinking the Warriors, uh, especially DWZ, for a bit of a bounce back. Uh, you know, do you get on him to score three or four tries against the Finns? It'll depend on what type of um, team the Finns name. But, yeah, that's definitely something I mine off. Um, now we'll move on to Supercoach, mate. First of all, I'm going to stitch him up because it is quite close in the Magic Sponge Draft League. Scott is currently over Alex, 648 to 621. But I'm going to jinx him, and I'm going to say congratulations, Scott, on winning the uh, Magic Sponge Draft League, uh, because updates are still to come. So he absolutely could still lose. But I love spicing things up, especially in a league where I came like 10th and I was shit. So, um, yeah, look, Scott, I uh, I hope that fully... I hope it... It's a draw or something like that. That'd be funny as. But the winner of this uh, this league, I decided on the prize. A, you get a shout out on here, which is just invaluable. But B, you also get to send me one photo of an injury for diagnosis for free, free of charge. So, uh, Scotty, I'm, I know you'd be desperate to get that one over the line just for that. Uh, but, James, mate, I don't know if I want to talk Supercoach with you this week because you have absolutely flogged it. I would not be surprised. I don't know how many points were between us before this round, but you've dusted me by over 200 points. We might be back close. Like, you killed it. Not too sure. It was a it was a funny old week on with how it played out because obviously I was not counting on Taruva, Karaz, and Hines all missing, so that sort of put me in a bit of a tailspin. And I did trade out Latrell for Ken Munster, so that worked out in my favour because I was obviously going to run one short there. But my score was fourteen oh nine as it sits at the moment. I guess I've got the captaincy on Ponga, so that could sort of go up or down. It's hard to really know what that'll sort of look like after the final game now. So yeah, reasonably good score actually to round off the season. Oh, especially um, one think, down, mate. Jesus, you got to. Yeah, and that's that. the thing. I sort of, I'm, yeah, I was an extra short because I copped the AE, but then with Raz being out late, I had no one else I could sort of sub in or cover. So I was pretty, pretty cooked at uh, that point. So I was like, well, I'm just going to run one short and just copped a terrible score. But yeah, anyway, the rest of my team actually did reasonably well, which has um, been not my season. So I'll take it. I think a massive shout-out about Kalen Ponga. How epic has he been since going back to fullback, Brian? I think that just cannot be overstated. He's just got to be the MVP of Supercoach at the Magic Sponge Awards at the end of the year. Since going back to fullback in round – was it 11 or 12 or somewhere yeah. in that ballpark? We both it's jumped on him for those buys, mate. Yeah. I think, like, you know, we de- once again, we don't get a lot right on here sometimes, but that was me and you jumped on him yeah. on the same week there, and that that has just been an absolute season yeah. maker. Yeah, so shout-out to Kalen. He's been top-notch watching him go around for the Knights and carve up. He's probably not going to be there next week, but anyway, he's had an epic run to finish out the season. I've got five Rabdos back in next week. There's going to be heaps of chaos with Teamless Tuesday and people getting rested, so who knows what next week will look like. I'm not up the the rankings this year, Brian. It hasn't been my best season. But I tell you what, if I was in like the top 100, I would be sweating hard on who gets named, laid outs. If you've got any trades left, like that could be enormous. You could come from nowhere and get across the line this week if you've got a couple of trades up your sleeve. It's sort of, we spoke last week, oh, it's been a pretty cruisy year. Like it hasn't been like a chaotic round and then this round hits and it could really decide someone's season next week who gets the chocolates. Um, for the super coach sort of cash there, hey. Oh, mate, like like I've been, and I think you're the same, like we've been sitting on one trade. I know I've been sitting on one trade for about the last six or seven weeks. 
and not had to use it because I'm like, I'm pretty happy with my team. I've been scoring well. I've been going up in the ranks, you know, some weeks and stuff like that. So I've been pretty chill. Uh, this week I could, I think I used about six trades. Like this, we call this our Mount Everest podcast. Uh, yeah, like I've never seen carnage. Probably carnage, like, the, the, like yes, there's been injuries and there's probably been weeks where there's been a similar number of injuries. But I think what's hits the hardest is there are so many super coach relevant players who are affected here. Like so many. And, <coughs> pardon me. And I just, yeah, like I've put in the notes here. I reckon I could have anywhere from like 13 to 20 players next week. It, yep. it could be like if everything goes my way, I could have 20 and be sweet. If everything doesn't go my way, I could have a, yeah, like 13 and be in all yeah. sorts of trouble. So I think it's really going to be an interesting one. I'm getting some rabbits back as well, but hopefully, I mean, I've spoken about a lot of my players today. Like I'm not expecting to have Ponga. Um, you know, I'm, I'm hoping to have uh, Nico Hines. I'm, no, at this stage, I'm yeah not expecting to have Harry Grant really either. So hopefully, Sonny Luke just uh, gets the start at hooker and absolutely kills it because I'm probably gonna have to start him at hooker. So I might drop. Uh, hopefully, I I don't know where I am in the rankings. I think I'm still about seven hundredth or something. So hopefully, I can hang on to a top one thousand or something. But uh, yeah, it is. I, I brought in DWZ this week over Walsh, which was just an absolute dagger. I I mainly brought in D like. This week was a good matchup, but I really want him for this week against the Finns. So hopefully he scores a triple and and pays me back for that. But yeah, I think anybody out there, if you've got a boost, if you somehow have a boost, or even if you've got two trades left and you're in the top yeah. fifty, like don't count yeah, yourself you out. Can, yeah. Don't. Like yeah, it could be yeah. Like you could if you trade in two players who are starting against like you know I know a lot of people brought in DCE this week, but like being able to bring in someone like a DCE and somebody else next week with some upside, uh, when you know some people in the top ten might have like fourteen fifteen players, it's very possible. Yeah. So I reckon it's really really open uh, purely because I've yeah I've never seen carnage like this to super coach relevant players. Hopefully it all falls in my favour and I have 20 players and I've got a lot to pick from. But, uh, yeah, I'm not counting on it, hey. Don't count yourself out, Brian. You could do one of the best Stephen Bradbury's you've ever seen and come from the clouds and take out take out the overall. Who knows? I'm backing myself, mate. You know, as I said, it doesn't matter whether you come top 1,000. I should have hit myself over the face for saying hopefully I hit top 1,000 because who gives a shit? You just uh, want to get that cash. So I'm coming for you, whoever's in. At least I'll aim for 11th because I think it's like the top 11 get like... They get like a KFC voucher or something. Oh, I can't even remember. Oh, yeah. But I'll, look. Well, I'll, you get you get good bloke bragging rods as well. And as you said before, that is invaluable. That's to true. Who is a better bloke overall. <laughs> I can. What I was can your ranking? Re- oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, a good bloke of me. <laughs> Rest easy. In we, the are, we, are, we are about our numbers, of course, Brian. Yeah, that's we are right. about our numbers. Exactly. Nothing else matters. All right. We are bordering on an hour and a half, mate. Easily our longest pod. We said it was our Mount Everest. It is like past... 10 o'clock at night on Sunday. We've been doing the after-hours shifts here. Mate, that was fun. Uh, Obviously talking about a whole lot of horrible situations, and I just said that it potentially my Supercoach team 
could have 13 players next week. So it's not all good. Oh, the other thing I'll mention, which is just fantastic, is I rolled you in our home league in the draft. So suck on that one. I think we both both got – like this is the argument. Um, I, I think there's a real argument to move finals to like round 23, 22, 23 after this year because you and I both had fantastic teams but like I had Hines, you had like two or three guys like Kiraz and those kind of guys all ruled out late, Taruva, like these kind of things and we were just scrounging for guys all over the place. Um, I love my draft but man, it was a killer this weekend and Lord forbid if you have your draft finals next weekend, hopefully there is no one who has that. But, uh, yeah, look, I appreciate anyone who sat here for an hour and a half. If you're listening, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope we gave some value, gave some clarification, because as I said, I think it's not just about Supercoach this week. It's about guys moving into the finals and the expectations for that. James, look, you have you, – you're on top of the world, mate, cause you're a Broncos fan. You, you must be excited about the finals coming up. Yeah, mate, I'm really looking forward to it. And like you said, we've done Mount Everest – I feel like a better analogy for that would be we've been to extra time. We've been to Golden Point. I'm JT in 2016. I've just slotted <laughs> it over. The boys are up and about. We've had a great time. There's plenty of things to celebrate this week. I think moving forward as well, Brian, on the um, on the topic of, because I guess there's not as many things that are going to be super coach relevant. I think what's going to be really good is looking back on our initial season predictions. And we're going to have, because obviously the Magic Sponge is about integrity accountability <laughs> and honesty we're going to have an honesty session in a couple of weeks oh, and actually look back mate. at who who was the best preseason predictions what were the takes that were good what were the takes that would be in stuff we'll, we'll have a good chat about that in the weeks upcoming so i think that will be another one for people to look forward to they might not be as interested in the injury stuff they might be really interested in us having an earnest discussion about who has better integrity and actually who is nostradamus and pre- can predict the future of a coach Mate, we can just start with my. We just pull up my post of by the year injury by the year Adam Dewey. So I, I don't Absolutely. think I don't think anything Front more center. needs to be said. <laughs> That's yeah. although I did well in Supercoach this year, so I must have got some things right. But yeah, no, yeah. it's uh, it's been a good year, mate. We've uh, the the podcast is gone from strength to strength. It's really good. It's good to have everyone listening. More listeners each week, which is fantastic. Uh, but guys, have a good Sunday night. James, you have a good week. I hope the Bronx uh, have a good win on Thursday night. And I hope the Finns, even though I've got a whole bunch of Warriors, I hope the Finns have a, have a win to finish their season. And uh, yeah, enjoy your week, guys. And on that note, up the mighty, mighty Redcliffe Dolphins. Suspected broken left fibula. Suffering syndesmosis. After that stem cell injury that he's come back from. That's about it, mate.